day, listeners. Today we will be chatting to Ruan Fourier, an Alexandrian witch and priest of the goddess, high priest of the Derby Coven in the northern suburbs of Johannesburg. Hi, Ruan. Thank you very much for consenting to this interview. How are you doing? Hello, Mose. I'm very well, and you? We're really enjoying the weather at the moment. In Gauteng, we've got quite a bit of rain, so it is very English weather, which is absolutely divine. How about you? We're also experiencing English weather this side of the world, and for us, it's an absolute treat. Okay, so are we ready to go ahead with the interview? I'm ready when you are. Righty, first things first, for our uninformed public, what are Alexandrian witches and what do they do? Oh, I think we'll have to dedicate an entire interview to go into depth. But um, in a nutshell, we are an initiatory priesthood of witchcraft dedicated to the circle and the magical arts. And how many degrees are there in this tradition? There are three degrees in the craft. We have um, the first degree, which really is the initiation into the mysteries. And then the second degree, which we say is the penetration of the mysteries. And the third is the celebration of the prior to, it's the celebration of, of the experience. Wonderful. And approximately how long does it take to be formally trained and initiated? An interesting difference between Gardnerian and Alexandrian witchcraft is that the second and third degree is traditionally given together rather than separate as in the Gardnerian um, movement. So in our co- every coven is autonomous. This is the thing about the craft. There's no central pope or authority. However, we have a central core system, if you will, or a central core tenets that we work from, a central core training. But um, for our coven, we have a period of preparation for initiation, which is before initiation, which usually lasts it's difficult to say because it is. it depends on the person and it depends on where they are at and, and, and what their experiences are and where they're finding themselves. But usually, I'd say it, it usually lasts between three and six months of preparation. Now, of course, there's no formal training that happens in this preparation. This is time spent with the person and, you know, looking at uh, reading material, looking at different things and looking at different aspects of the tradition that might be found to be, you know, um, some people might find controversial just to make sure that um, all of these different aspects are sitting well with the person and that we really gel with them as well. But yeah, it's not really a personal thing as much as it is to see 
whether this person has the vocation, dedication and sincerity necessary for the pursuits of the mysteries. Um, so yeah, that lasts about one to uh, three to six months. And then after initiation, training starts. Now, the period between the first and second and third degree would usually be a minimum of two years, but it could be more. That really makes a lot of sense to me. And tell me, Ruan, where did you receive your training and initiation, if I may ask? Um, I was in pursuit of initiation into the Alexandrian tradition for a while and I was fortunate enough to come across a couple of witches in Massachusetts that at the time was receiving training from Maxine in, in London. Well, they weren't receiving training in London, but from London. <laughs> so um, I came into contact with these witches and they had a bit of experience in facilitating training for students who were not on their continent so the thing the tricky thing about that is you can't train witchcraft online still today even with COVID you can't really train the art magical in the way that we practice it online so those techniques and those methodologies needs to be done inside of a magic circle um, of course, there's theoretical aspects and things could be online, done online, but that landed up for me being a couple of trips over to the States in Massachusetts, Boston to be specific. And um, yeah, that's where that happened. After a couple of years, I received the, the first degree. And then after a couple of years of that, I received the higher degrees and eventually was able to, we, I was able to start Coven in South Africa. I remember with fondness when you went overseas to study with the Alexandrians and how proud everyone was upon your return. You were the first true Alexandrian witch in South Africa. Would you be able to share some moments regarding those times abroad and the people you met during your sojourns? Oh, it was a harrowing, fantastic, wonderful, scary, exciting, joyous adventure. <laughs> um, the Alexandrians of, that I had to do with were wonderful, they were powerful, they were uh, dedicated to their craft and their magic. And you could feel it, it was a sense, it's like a palpable sense of magic that is around these people. And um, I think the reason for it is that people, uh, the Alexandrians that I know and have to do with um, really take their vocation seriously. They take their magic and their circle seriously and they want to have the experiences. They want to have the, the joy of the craft that it brings and also the touch of that, the mysteries and the goddess. Mm -hmm. 
Another fun thing that I experienced, of course, being in Massachusetts was going to Salem, which is a very, very interesting experience. It's such a bizarre town. Um, loved it. Uh, it's so strange to see this high street, almost like a you know main street in Salem, and there's 90% cult and metaphysical stores in this street. And there's really everything. There's, it's anything in the cult world that you can think of, you can find in Salem. It's, it's a really, really interesting experience. Oh, you're making me green with envy. <laughs> and it's and it's really lovely to hear how you experienced, you know, these powerful people as well as the, you know, the American environment. Um, and that you're able to share that with us. And it's exciting for us out here in Africa to actually get to hear someone telling of these things firsthand. Um, I'm just curious about something. Why did you seek an Alexandrian initiation? Why not a Gardnerian initiation? Mm. I was in eclectic Wicca, or paganism, if you will, for about 15 years before I, you know, search sought for initiation into Alexandrian witchcraft and it came about because you know I, I learned a lot in my time in paganism and eclectic wicca however I always not always to I started feeling that there was something underneath all of this that was older and perhaps a little bit more specific rather than the sort of like anything goes idea, that, which is of course what eclecticism is really, isn't it? Um, but I had, a, I felt a bit like I was hitting brick walls and I knew that there was something more. There wa I knew there was something more than what I was experiencing. And I remember very, very specifically um, f coming across Maxine Sanders's book, uh, autobiography called um, Fire Child. And I still remember it so clearly to this day. We were somewhere out in the Berg, in the um, Drakensberg Mountains, and it was a weekend away or something. And I started reading this book. And before that, I was, you know, reading things, uh, reading works by Dion Fortune, reading Blavatsky, reading some, you know, things of Hermetic Lodges and the Golden Dawn. And I came across this book of Maxine's and I read it and I immediately knew that this was the path that I was looking for. It it was a strange blend. Well, you know, it's, I don't think it's the same for everyone, but what I picked up from it, it was a strange current of fertility cult come Hermetic Lodge. Um, Although that's not specifically what it was. I mean, it's still the craft. But it, it it just had this true sense of discipline, dedication, and understanding of the occult and the, um, the inner workings of things that I thought, 
immediately, I immediately knew that this was for me. And I thought, oh my God, how am I going to, <laughs> how am I going to get initiation into, I'm going to get initiation into this um, tradition. And um, it was quite a while. I mean, I think that the first time I came across it was about 2013. And um, it was only about three, four years later that I really, really uh, came into big contact with Alexandrians and eventually then went over. It was quite a road, quite an experience in and of itself leading up to the initiation as well. Why not Gardnerian? Um, I, I, I think for me there was something in that I could pick up from Maxine's work. Um, and I knew it to be true because that's the experiences I had later as well. There's something about Alexandrian witchcraft that was not locked into the idea of earth magic itself. I, I, it sounds a bit weird, but there was a bigger vision, a bigger, a larger contacted experience in that that I found was something that was for me. It was something that was already opening for me on my road and in my path and experiences. And it really just resonated with me. I also enjoyed and really appreciated the beauty that Alexandrian witchcraft seems to emanate. It has that, you know, we have this thing of the um, qualities of priesthood we look at, one being vocation which is that real it's something you're born with i don't think you can fake it um something that it's like a person who's a musician they have the vocation to be that or a person who's a teacher has that vocation you can't fake it and i think it's the same for priesthood initiated witchcraft uh, initiated initiated witches in alexandrian witchcraft um the other thing that we look at is dedication that one isn't a given <laughs> that's something that needs to be cultivated it comes out of, I think, the joy and the the true curiosity about, you know, that feeling of wanting to know. I think that that's the driving force behind that and really wanting to know and pierce those experiences. And then the last one that we say, it's not the, really the last one, but we talk about this thing of beauty um, in priesthood and the ability to appreciate and project that. And I think that is something that definitely is an Alexandrian witchcraft and probably was for me also a drawing towards that. Thank you very much for that answer. And I can actually see that beauty reflected of you. I would like to ask a few more questions and I apologize if some of these questions come across as trivial but I really wish to understand um, what all and who inspired you what about Stuart and Janet Farrar So Stuart Farrow was a journalist in the late 1960s and early 1970s in London. And there was a magazine, I think it was called Ravel, that wanted him to write an article about Alex and the London Coven. 
and he went to meet with Alex and Maxine and I think from what I understand is he became very interested in the crowd so much so that he actually asked for initiation um, and he became initiated so that was an, um, something that happened in the I think it was 1970 in the London Coven he then went about to write a book called What Witches Do. Now this book was to be a follow-up, not a follow-up, but sort of like a second installment of King of the Witches because King of the Witches sort of was the June John's biography of Alexander's. And then the publisher wanted to have something that talks about what Covens did at the time. So Stuart went about being newly initiated and inside the coven to write this work, which became a very seminal and very, very influential um, work called What Witches Do. Um, it's still relevant today. It's interesting. I sometimes hear people say, you know, that's what witches did at the time. Uh, I always laugh because that's what we still do. <laughs> I don't, we don't really do anything much different than what is described, uh, described there. Well, there's, there's differences, but you know, that's the, the, definitely the core basics in the book there. Um, Stuart then was in the London Coven and he met Janet, who was Janet Owen at the time. And they became, they fell in love, they became involved. And um, there was a bit of a complex situation happening there. I think it's been published quite a bit, so um, listeners can go and look at it if they're interested. But they eventually hived from the London Coven. So, um, and started their own Coven Island. For me personally, I don't consider anything that was written after that hive, especially stuff that was written as both Janet and Stuart Farrow as Alexandrian material at all. I think there's this misconception that it is because they were Alexandrians at one point, but they they also left the tradition very publicly a bit later. So for me, no, the, the, I think the most popular one probably is The Witch's Bible, which is a combo of two books called Eight Sabbaths for Witches or the, uh, and The Witch's Way. That was combined into into one volume called the Witch's Bible. Um, I can tell you that that's definitely not Alexandrian witchcraft, and not the way that I was trained in it. So yeah, I think it's an interesting read. We we still um, what witches do by Stuart is definitely still prescribed reading for us, and it's it's usually the first book I recommend to seekers. Um, is that what witches do by by Stuart because it really really does give you a flavor of the kind of work that we do in Alexandrian witchcraft oh I do agree with you on that and um, I simply adore some of those old black and white photographs and some of those videos depicting aspiring initiates, you know, being um, prepared by the high priestess, as well as, you know, the documented soirees back in the 1970s. They have such a pattern of candor, beauty and mystery about them. Do you share these with aspiring students or do you prefer to, you know, first start them off slowly?
Oh, they are divine. I think they are sort of capture, capture the essence of traditional Wicca. Well, we don't. This is another interesting thing. We don't really refer to our our work as traditional Wicca. <laughs> That's sort of like the external name for it, and it was never really referred to as Wicca by either Gardner or Sanders. It really, really um, wasn't. It was something that came much later. I've I've heard before that Wicca was actually seen as a sort of like an inner word, a word that was used amongst the initiates, of course, until it became quite um, appropriated outside of the craft. But um, yeah, so um, those photos are absolutely fantastic. Um, I think that uh, it, uh, something interesting that people don't realize is that most of them are staged. Um, they are staged, but they do capture a bit of an essence of what of our practices. And of course, they were, you know, there's this whole thing about what, we're being secret, but Alex and Maxine wasn't secret in the day, and they were just out there, they were in interviews, and they were in photos. The truth is that all those photos and all those things were really, really staged. I mean, they weren't actual rituals being photographed. But they were, they did it on purpose, and Alex did it on purpose because he wanted to create signposts for people. You have to have something to show people. You have to have something out there. And I think they were excellent signposts. They're a bit, I wonder if they're still, I think they're still as powerful, but I think they, there's a place for them to be misinterpreted today. But then again, we've, we've not really, you know, I don't think we always bow to the, the status quo either in the craft but yeah I, I i i really love them i think they are they're a bit of a signpost of the times and they were a signpost of the craft as well still is maybe <laughs> it definitely still is a signpost of the craft today i am mesmerized by uh, the beauty and I don't care if they were staged or not they attract attention and they um, the candor that's what I really really adore about them you know is you are almost put in a position of a voyeur but um, there's no guilt or judgment involved um, you almost made part of something that is bigger and that you're uh, not part of, but they are so open and welcoming. You know, that is what those photographs um, do for me. Another question, one of those perhaps silly questions. Do Alexandrians also keep a book of shadows? And is it a book or a term that is copied word for word, by hand, by the initiate, generation after generation? Or is it something personal that the individual witch keeps? The Book of Shadows is a is a very interesting um, aspect of the craft, and I think it's a, it's one that intrigues people a lot. Um, it is a specific book. It is a specific text that is copied word for word, indeed, by um, initiate only an hour at a time after the initiation. And the reason for the hour at a time thing is specifically that the act of copying that book is an act of magic. It is an act of transferring the the, the words and their hidden meaning into the consciousness of, of the initiate copying it. So yes, it's a very specific book. 
um it's not added to like uh, there's a lot of things that came later i think in the post um traditional wicker days and when things became um, you know a little bit more um eclectic for people out there um the original book of shadows is definitely a specific volume and it, it is passed from priesthood to initiate um down line absolutely we don't only have one though in alexandrian witchcraft we've got the main book of shadows and then we've got another book that is called in our tradition it's called the second book which contains various spells and collections of works and there's all sorts of different um lore inside that book which is specific to the tradition and then what people commonly know as the Book of Shadows, the one that's the personal diary or personal grimoire, is something we also have, but we don't call it the Book of Shadows. The Book of Shadows, like I said, is a specific volume, but most Alexandrians that I know have a personal grimoire or a, you know, or a, a, a book of a particular workings that they are working on that's specific to them. These are usually all handwritten books which is really gorgeous. I've seen some really beautifully exquisite books over the years. Really, really stunning stuff. So there are, there are magical works in and of themselves, I think, as well. That sounds absolutely fantastic. I would really, really love to see some. I wish they'd make documentaries and put them up on YouTube, you know, for educational purposes. Um, you know, if we want to know more about the Etruscans and the Egyptians, the Greeks and the Romans, we can go, you know, to museums, websites and on YouTube and we've got a world of information. But when it comes to the craft, um, I understand the necessity for secrecy also. I understand the importance of it. But I feel, you know, that we should have a little bit more information out there. Uh, for the interested folk. And um, uh, do you host open circles or public sabbats now that we are talking about interested folk? Just on your previous observation of craft, sort of like legacy, a wonderful place if it's a bit far for us, but if anyone can visit it, the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic in Boscosal in Cornwall. Absolutely delightful. It is like a repository of craft history and magical history, really. It's absolutely amazing. Um, and there are a couple of interesting sort of like um, exhibits there every now and then. Um, we don't host open circles at all because the magic that we do is so contextually um, in the tradition. And it is, I think the thing with it is it's so specific that it would be probably be quite irresponsible to just you know open the doors and it's also just something i think historically um these kinds of practices was kept it's not necessarily secret it's more a fact that the priesthood who work these rites know that it is sacred to them and therefore they are private so we don't open it to to non-initiates However, we do host soirees um, every now and then where there's a need for them. These soirees are um, really the contact points for people interested in um, Alexandrian witchcraft, 
and traditional Wicca in general. And, and we, we open it to people just wanting to have a, a good conversation about the occult and the magical arts, but they are specifically geared towards those interested in Alexandrian witchcraft per se. And, you know, for those ones who are curious and want to ask questions, it is an evening um, geared with priesthood to answer questions people may have. So those are really the best bets for these kinds of things in traditional craft, well, in Alexandrian witchcraft for us. I really, really like the idea of these soirees in which people can come and meet the priesthood and ask questions and get recommended uh, books to read. Um, what is the purpose of ritual and rites within the Alexandrian tradition? Ritual brings about change in consciousness. And if you look at something like the craft, there has to be sort of like a purpose behind all of this. And I think that's a very good question that you're asking. For us, I would say, you know, there's a lot of the, this talk about the great work. And I think this really does play inside of, it does play into our work as witches in Alexander Witchcraft as well, because there is this, this notion of creating and developing a better version of the person of yourself and bringing this about, you know, the psychologist brings it about through psychotherapy or through whichever means they go. We bring it about through magic. And although the line is very, very fine, there is a distinction. And I am quite pedantic to, to highlight that there is a distinction and a difference between magic, the magical arts, and psychology. It might be a very fine line, but there is one. Um, why do we do rituals? We do rituals to invoke these forces to bring about con changes in consciousness. We do it with the will and we do it with a plan. I think that's where the difference comes in from a dabbler and an initiate, is that the initiate works with the plan, works with the ground plan that has been, been about it's been worked by people before and the idea is to work that plan and then to push the boundaries further it really is also a fertility cult the craft is a fertility cult as well and the the eight sabbaths in the seasonal cycle we do practice and they put the witch in tune with these cosmic forces that really is in is the changes of the universe. It really is the agents of change change and experience in the universe and in the, um, you know, in existence. And I think what we as witches do, and magical practitioners, but particularly in the context of Alexandrian witchcraft, is we consciously work and invoke these for forces to bring about changes for the betterment of um, the individual and sometimes for humanity as a whole as well so yeah it is it's more than just the spell work which i know you're aware of but i think a lot of people coming to the craft 
I, I think I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with it because I think that is sort of like the drawing card. But the longer you are in it, the more you realize there is something much larger that is being worked here, much and much more complex. And it might be the, the groundwork might need to be done with very like mundane sort of spell works and things to sort out the life of the initiate or the witch. But hopefully, once that groundwork and foundation is strongly laid, there is a space to attain and a, a, a need to attain to higher, higher workings um, and higher aspirations. But you know, it's different for everyone. Um, I think at the end of the day, the, the true answer to that question is that ritual, why we do ritual is the same answer that, that what I think magic is. And it is bringing changes in consciousness through the will. On a more practical side, I have to also say that we do do the occasional healing. We do the occasional um, operative spell. It's not like we don't do it. I'm just saying that there is more to it than just that. Um, but yes, we do do healing for people sometimes, always with the consent of those asking healing. And then also with good knowledge of what the, the ailment might be. And if we don't have that, we would usually pass on it. Um, as it would, you know, it, I think it would be as irresponsible to work on it magically as you do physically. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of a thing there that we, there is ethics in our craft. Another example of a practical working that was very interesting is that one of our priestesses was having some real serious issues with tenants in her complex that were not paying their fee, their dues and the, the complex itself was going more and more into debt and of course they would eventually land up going into um, liquidation and she created a thought form that would not compel but would, would sort of remind <laughs> all of the tenants every every week that no, 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 these levies need to be paid needs to be paid needs to be paid and uh, thankfully that landed up being quite successful <laughs> I, I think they had like a 90 percent payment at the end of the day so yes we are practical at times and it's sometimes very very you know straightforward and in your opinion is ritual nudity an important part of working magic? We do work skyclad when the magic calls for it. So we don't always work skyclad. We enjoy our beautiful robes. We enjoy robed working as well. Um, it really depends on the circle and the time. Um, and it's an interesting thing. I think that is sometimes a fear thing for people when they come into it first and a lot of our seekers and one our initiates would say you know they were so afraid of it and that was something that was almost like a mental block in the beginning but it's so strange that after about two circles it's it's it really just becomes so natural that it no longer has that same level of fear so yes we do use it but we do work skyclad when the magic calls for it <laughs> interesting i love your answer and tell me, is there such a thing as 
accountability in magical workings. Oh, absolutely. Um, the thing is that magic still has law to it. It might not be human law, but it's still anything that comes through planes and anything that works that is actually manifested has to follow certain laws right so i know it is very popular today to shun any form of the ethics and it you know it's the whole threefold law thing and of course i have to say that that particular thing about the law of threefold return was terribly misinterpreted um that never meant that in the craft it never meant what people use it for today. Oh, it's going to return to you three times. I think that literally came from the movie The Craft. And I really think that actually is where it came from. Um, it's rubbish. It has nothing to do with that. But um, just to give some uh, some adding to that threefold law of return thing. In truth, I would say that is how things manifest. If you send it out, it will garner around it more power, energy, hopefully and return stronger than you send it out. That's how manifestation works. Um, it's very little to do with ethical things. But here's the thing, um, I always have to ask why people would be so anti an ethical idea. That always makes my hair raise a little bit. It's like, oh, I don't believe in the threefold return. Then I always wanna ask, okay, but what exactly are you up to doing? <laughs> you know, it always makes you worry a little bit. I, uh, there was something that came out recently now on online, and I don't know who the article was by, but he was talking about these things that were not okay in magic. And, you know, the fact that that article even has to be written, I mean, it's been, magical criminality has been around since ancient times. People using, it's the same as, just because it's magic doesn't make it any different. People will still use it for criminal acts. The fact that someone harms someone with magic doesn't make it any less accountable or real than what it would have been if they did it in real life. So I, I, I believe that Alex actually said that if you are willing to curse someone, you need to be willing to walk up to that person and do the same thing in the physical plane to them as well, because otherwise you won't firstly be able to curse them very well. Secondly, if you're not willing to do it on the physical, what makes you willing to be able to do it on the magical as if it's any less real, which always then makes you wonder how real people think magic really is as well but um yes we have we do have it's in the first book of the book of shadows it says eight words that we can read fulfill and in harmony do as you will and i don't mind saying that because that is common knowledge and the other thing about that as well is i think people are trying to hide from that fact that it is actually 
on the first page of the of the traditional book of shadows so yes what does that mean it's what is this thing about and it harm none do as you will obviously you're harming things as you live it's common sense you're drinking water with bacteria in it that's that's obvious what that is speaking to is try and cause as less harm as uh, the least amount of harm that you can by living in this world it also doesn't mean that you are a um doormat it doesn't mean that we don't um use magic to stop people or to um to stop behavior or to, to protect of course we do um i just think it's important that people realize that the craft and when i speak of the craft i talk about traditional wicca is not a lawless anarchy it has rules it has concepts and it has dogma and it's the reality of it whether a person likes it or not it's it's there and it is it is what it is The craft is definitely not for the anarchist or the morally bereft. Ruan, thank you so much for your time and your gems of wisdom. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. We are using these podcasts as a weekly build-up to Pagan Freedom Day. We feel that it is only through finding out, understanding and accepting our differences that we can realize a spiritually strong community. Your answers and your um, experience are really of tremendous value. Thank you very much. Have yourself a lovely evening and a super weekend. Loads of love to everyone there. Thank you so much. It was lovely speaking to you. Have a great evening. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Ron Fourier from the Derby Coven in Johannesburg, an Alexandrian coven. I hope you enjoyed the episode and do stay tuned for more next week Thursday. Bye.